In this episode, my friend Mike Mitchell and I discuss his experience over the last 16 years with the Infinite Banking Concept. We enjoyed it and had fun, and thank you for listening. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery, and I'm with my friend Mike Mitchell, and I'm excited to be here with him. He's a very interesting guy, um, a great guy, very nice individual, very pleasant, and uh, I've known him for about eight years, and and, and I, I have to say that when you know we have a scheduled call or we're calling or speaking, whether you're here over the phone or whatever, it always... Uh, makes me feel good inside because you're so positive you're very positive and you're just a great individual with a great attitude and i'm not saying that just because you're here i mean i mean that sincerely and so (laughs) i'm excited that you're here and i'm excited that the listeners get to know who you are and a little bit about you mike so can you fill us in on some of your background can I say I'm your co-host, Mike Mitchell? <laughs> I'm sitting in for Ryan today. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. All right. And, and here, let me say that Ryan Griggs. This is um, 4:25, April 25th, right in the middle of the, you know, COVID pandemic. So we're deep underground, undisclosed location, practicing social distancing. But Mr. Griggs flew in from California a couple of days ago, so he's practicing that 14-day self-quarantine. I just want to throw that out. Well, that's probably good. <laughs> <laughs> so please. All right. Well, uh, first of all, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you asking me to be here. So uh, I appreciate all the good things you said. I, I hope I hope they're true. <laughs> oh, they're true. We could call your wife. She'll, she'll vouch for oh, you. Oh, and that's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I'm... I'm retired. I was, I was judge of county criminal court number two in Tarrant County for about 25 years. And, uh, and I retired... Four and a half years ago, so now I, when I'm when I'm not doing nothing, I <laughs> I fill in occasionally for uh, the elected judges in Tarrant County. Is that um, like a circuit judge? No, it's it's just like it's more like a substitute teacher. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> when they're on vacation or or sick or going to seminars, whatever you know, yeah. I I fill in when. They call and say, can you work this day or that day? And I say, yes or, or no. Just you look me. at your calendar and say, well, I don't know if I, I want to or I say, yeah, let me check my busy schedule. Yes, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's fun. I still get to uh, do that kind of work. I enjoyed. In my 25 years, there was probably, you could probably count on one hand the days I didn't like being there. Wow. So, I mean, and you might have some fingers left over. I mean, I enjoyed it. So it, it, was, it was a good thing to do. Well, what kind of cases did you hear? All kinds? Or? Oh, in Tarrant County, we're specialized. We have, uh, I, I was at the county criminal courts here, misdemeanor criminal cases, class A and class B misdemeanors. Mostly DWIs, it turned out, what the trials were. There are a lot of drinkers in Tarrant County? Uh, a lot of Irish? Uh, uh, <laughs> there might be. They might be coming in from other counties, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, it was, uh, I enjoyed the work. Perfect. So it's been about four years. And, uh, well, we've known, <clears throat> excuse me, we've known, I've known you since, I believe, 2012. So Correct. about eight yeah. years. And if my memory serves me well, um, I was hosting Nelson Nash in Fort Worth. And, however, that was promoted back then. I think Nelson, 
Nash, the uh, Nelson Nash Institute, you know, promoted it. Um, so I don't know how, I th- but I think that's how we met. I think that you registered to come to an event in Fort Worth. I, th- I believe it was at the Lowe's Hotel. The Lowe's Hotel? No, the big, the yeah, the big uh, glass hotel in downtown Fort Worth. Oh yeah, the big, the big. I didn't have the Lowe's, but uh, no, I can't remember. I don't. It's I, big. It was yeah. expensive. I know that. <laughs> and I believe it was back it was when beautiful. I believe it was back when you were doing it for free. <laughs> you weren't. I don't know if you were charging admission at that time or not. Um, uh, it was probably very low. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we, I mean, we just, we just tried to set a threshold. You know, to, um not really set a threshold just to keep people out, but they're, they're pretty expensive and, and, uh, but it was very reasonable. I don't remember what we charged. I know that at one time way back when we first started hosting Nelson, it was probably 16 or seven, 16 years ago or so. And, and people, agents and advisors hosted him across the country. And, and the, it was very common for the host to charge, you know, $200, $150, for attendance. And so when, it, when, when we started hosting him, you know, you look at what everybody else is doing and you kind of, that's where you kind of start, but that never set well with me, you know. Um, so we lowered the prices as really as much as we could and felt comfortable with, but, and it worked out, yeah. you know. I, I wouldn't have come for $200, but. <laughs> exactly, you know. But, um, whether it's free or not, I mean, and I don't, I was trying to think, I must have just seen a notice about that on the internet, yeah. and and I had had some uh, contact with this concept prior to that, and so I thought, well, gosh, I'll go hear Nelson speak, you know, straight to the, you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Right. And so, uh, and that's where I met you for the first time, and uh, after that day and a half presentation, I said, I set an appointment to come see you. Yeah. And you, you had, you had uh, been exposed to this concept through maybe the radio um, advertising of some promoters or um, agents, in, right? I, I, I'd probably found, I think I read Nelson's book right when it first came out. Which was 2000. Mm-hmm. And um, showed it to a, a friend of mine who was my life insurance agent at the time. And I said, what do you think? He said, it's the worst idea ever. So, <laughs> I said, okay. So, but um, then I ran across uh, another promoter of the concept on the, I'm sure through the internet. And it struck me, you know, as that sounds too good to be true. Right. And of course, I guess the general rule is if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. Mm-hmm. So I looked at it and looked at it and looked at it, tried to kick it around, and finally decided that maybe it would work. So for me. So um, I contacted uh, a guy from. Uh, you know uh, the other website is that is this after you went to your friend oh yeah this is several years this was this would have been in uh, 2004 okay Um, so uh, I was going to let my I went and met this guy and I said okay let's do this I I bought a policy on my oldest daughter she was going to be the guinea pig (laughs) uh, the sacrificial lamb (laughs) so that was that that was in December of 2004 and so I, I I came to your seminar with Nelson. It had to have been early 2012, so I, you know, been 
uh, I'd had that policy in force for seven and a half years, maybe seven years. Wow, that that's pretty interesting. You know that that uh, you you hear the concept, you you purchase a book, you read the book, take it to your an agent, and you know oh, it's the worst idea ever, which is pretty common. You know because this is not this idea, this concept is not was not created by the life insurance industry. It was not created as a sales tool or gimmick. And it's still looked upon as a sales gimmick in even in the financial world, in the life insurance industry itself. Um, but so you, you read the book, you take it to a friend and it's like, oh, it's the worst idea ever. And then, but you still later purchased a policy. And the time had passed from that episode. Yeah. And like I say, ran across the, the concept again. And said, okay. I'll give it a try. Right. So. And then and then seven years, well, so what was that now? Tell me again. That, that was 2004. Uh, the policy, I bought that policy on my oldest daughter in December of 2004. Perfect. I love this. Here it is, mm-hmm. 2020, okay? This is 16 years later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had guests and uh, clients on the podcast in different episodes. And we continually, I continually get questions and comments and requests. Well, can you have a... a a client on that's you know has some experience and so i'm thinking you're fitting that bill (laughs) all right (laughs) no pressure no pressure yeah okay so um you purchase that policy and then you're just rocking along and then you you see or hear that nelson's going to be in fort worth and you're like oh here's an opportunity so i i signed up for your that that seminar and uh, sat through it and i thought okay well then i can expand what i'm doing because it, it still made sense to me. And uh, so, uh, you know, I got with you, and and here we are. Here we are. So back then, though, whenever you heard it or on the radio or seen it on the Internet, there wasn't, you know, you go on YouTube or the Internet or wherever, you consume social media, and there's a plethora of information, some good, some bad, some worth reading, some not, but on the internet, you know, there's just a ton of resources, quote unquote, about the infinite banking concept. Today, it was not that away in 2004 at all. Yeah, I mean, I I had a book, and uh, uh, actually two books, Nelson's book, I guess, and and the book written by another person, okay. uh, and uh, it just, like I say, that it clicked in my mind mm-hmm. that the, this is something I should look into. Right. And so, yeah. Okay, well, it, it seems to work for me. It works for you. Well, tell us, well, expand on that. Did mm-hmm. you, um, when you when you first started, did you just, you know, purchase life insurance as a place to put money or, you know, what have you done? Or, and how much of that do you want to share? And, and I don't want to, I don't want you to share anything that you don't want to or you're not comfortable with, but share everything that you will, please. Okay. <laughs> well, the first policy, the policy on my oldest daughter was basically purchased to finance vehicles, because okay. that was how the I got introduced to the concept. This is a great way to finance your vehicles, and I thought, okay. And so, I, like I said, I bought the policy to say, let's see if that works. I'm not sure I ever financed a vehicle with that policy, but <laughs> <laughs> but I could have. But could have worked. I, huh? could, I could have. Uh, it's basically it was just the way that turned out was just a, a way to accumulate some money. Yeah. Uh, the, it was a disciplined way to save some money. 
And uh, what's wrong with that? Have you ever saved too much money? I don't think I have. Do you know anybody who has saved too much money? Bill Gates, maybe, but I don't know him. But uh, Does he save money? Uh, he doesn't have to, I don't think. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I don't know anybody who says, I have too much money. It's Nor a big I. problem. Yeah, so, no. Uh, and so the way that policy rocked along, I thought, okay, I can do this. And then going to see Nelson's presentation and meeting with you, then I bought policies on myself and my wife. And ultimately on my youngest daughter. So, uh, and then uh, <clears throat> on uh, a supplemental policy on my wife. So now we have five policies. Wow. And so that all started uh, in 2008. You started expanding. <clears throat> or 2012. 2012, yes. All right. I keep saying 2008. It's been eight years. So, yeah. um, well, what have you done since then? And a lovely wife, I might add. He married up, I promise you. Uh, so. For sure. So. No. Uh, um, what have you done? Well, we've done a lot of things. We've taken, we've financed vacations. We've financed. Um, I love that. Where have you gone? I mean, don't just skip over uh, that. Where okay. have you been? Oh gosh, we've been to Italy. We've been to. Uh, we've taken several cruises. Went to Alaska on an Alaskan cruise. Uh, we we did we did a lot of traveling last year in 2019, and it seemed to compress all in the latter part of the year. We didn't do that on purpose. And we'll try never to do that again. <laughs> but we took two cruises within a month of each other. And in between, we went to Florida to the beach and went to Atlanta to see my stepmother. All without about five or six weeks. Wow. I don't want to do that again. But well, we, no. we went to the, you know, the one cruise was up the New England coast in, from New York City into Canada. We were about a week or two too early for the leaves changing. Mm-hmm. In fact, the 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 most vibrant leaves we saw, colorful leaves, were the trees lining the airport in Quebec City on our way home. <laughs> <laughs> so could have just driven through the airport. <laughs> yeah, but but that was a good trip. Then we then we came home for a few days, uh, three or four days. Then went to the beach for three or four days. Then went to Atlanta from there. And then came home for a couple of weeks, and then. Went to Galveston and got on a ship. Went to Roatan, Honduras, uh, Costa Maya in Mexico, I believe is the name of it, and Cozumel. Then back to uh, Galveston. Well, oh, know. I left one now. Oh, okay. Then the week of Thanksgiving, we took our grandchildren, five grandchildren and their parents, so there were 11 of us, for a week to Disney World. Wow. That's why I want to stay home for a while. <laughs> you know, but looking back, 2020, you can't travel currently, aren't you? Kind of glad oh, that oh, glad we did. Yeah. Piled all that in. <laughs> uh, I think we had a great time on our cruises. We had a great time at the beach. We had. A, I think everybody had a great time at Disney World. Right, yeah, happiest place on earth. All right. So, haven't been yet, and I'm looking forward to going. But we have been to uh, Harry Potter World. That was fabulous. Yeah, we. It's, I rode more roller coasters in that week of Thanksgiving than I've probably ridden in my entire life. <laughs> and we'll uh, rode more that week than I will ever ride again, too. So How many grandchildren did you take? We have five. Five. Aged from 20 to 10 at the time. Wow. So uh, it was a great time. The, you know, um, I've said it before. <clears throat> um, 
I remember the first time that we had gone to Europe, my wife and I, Jan and I, um, and I might have went alone without her first. I can't remember because uh, I went to France with a group of friends across the country, his, history buffs, and we did a World War II Normandy thing for like 10 days. It was awesome. Can't wait to go back and take my boys. But Jan and I went to uh, Austria with Nelson mm-hmm. and Mary and a couple of other couples. And, and prior to that, as, as a matter of fact, that was the first time we'd gone to Europe, okay, her and I, any of us. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, preparing for that, she, she said, well, oh my gosh, how much is that going to cost? And I said, I don't know, because I didn't know, right? And, and we went, and it was a fabulous time, and the memories that you make are unbelievable. And when we got back, I asked her, like, what was it worth? You know, there's a difference between price, sure. cost, and value, yes. you know. Yes. And then traveling since with our children, I mean, just to see their, their, their expansion is just unbelievable. As you like to say, you can't see that on an illustration. You cannot. <laughs> you, you can't. There's nowhere to put that on an illustration. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. Um, well, perfect. So, you know, I would I would have to think that a listener could be thinking, it's like, yeah, but you're a retired judge. You have to have a honking pension. Did you do all of this because you practice the infinite banking concept? Or how does the infinite banking concept fit in with all that? It enables us to do it. I mean, it, uh, to do all that because we have the freedom to. Because, like you say, what, cost is a factor. Sure. But you know, you don't want to go crazy. But uh, you have uh, we have these policies to finance these if we want to go. Uh, and then, of course, I the way I do things is I may borrow money from my policy, but I'm only going to borrow the amount that I know I can pay back within a certain period of time. You mean you practice being an honest banker? I try to. Oh, uh, sure. Like uh, another thing we did, we bought a new heating and air conditioning unit for our house a year ago, January. And I had, it was gonna, let's just say, round figures, it was gonna cost $10,000. I had $6,000 set aside for things, whatever. So I could have paid $6,000 and borrowed four. Mm-hmm. Instead, I put 4000 in my PUA, <laughs> kept two, and borrowed eight. Because I knew I could pay the eight over two years. I'd like, I'd like to pay things out 1000 a quarter. It just, that's just the way I like to do things. And, and you, you determined what you like to do and how you like to do it. Yeah. You can't put that on an illustration either. Right. So that's how we finance that. And of course, I always pay stuff back early, so <laughs> so so it's 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 paid off, right? But I I still have the four thousand dollars in my policy, and I'll bet you it bought one and a half or two times the death benefit right amount. And it wasn't very long as I started paying back the loan that if I'd gotten hit by a bus, that extra insurance would have covered the the balance of that loan. That's right, because the death benefit does collateralize the outstanding loan. Mm-hmm. And I know in the infinite banking world. You know, the death benefit is greatly diminished or negated, it, which is not correct and should not be done. You cannot buy life insurance without a death benefit. And the death benefit 
and the cash value, the relationship between the cash value and the death benefit is is so important and it's integral and you can't separate it because the cash by construct, the cash value equals the death benefit at age 120 currently, all right? Now you think about that. Do you want a large death benefit or do you want a small death benefit just on that construct alone? So I know that the cash value is gonna grow to the face amount, the death benefit at age 120. Now pray tell, do I want pennies and a death benefit? Or do I want a substantial death benefit? You ought to want a substantial one. Exactly. And so, and that means something different for everyone. I'm just saying that if you put that money into the PUA, it it was um, almost dollar for dollar cash value, right? There's a cost to the PUA and there's a discounting factor that all the life insurance companies use. However, you also caused your dividend to go up in that year and every future year just because you put that additional money into the PUA in that one year. And these are the things that you can see on the illustration. Mm -hmm. What you can't see on the illustration is the freedom and the control. This is what I'm gonna do, this is how I'm gonna do it, and no one's, you're not putting anything up for collateral other than the cash value, you're collateralizing the cash value, but you're not going to a third party lender, jumping through their hoops, you know, here's your credit score, here are your tax returns, not that you'd have to provide all that, you know, on a. $10,000 purchase. You could do that with a credit card. Oh, okay. And pay 10 or 15% interest Mm -hmm. after that first 12 month introductory offer or whatever the case may be. I'm just saying, what is that freedom and control? What is that worth? Uh, You can't describe it. It's, it's, you can't put a value on it. It's to know that you can, you can put your, you know, your banker hat on or your, your borrower hat on or wearing both at the same time. Right. Uh, And just, uh, it's just incredible. So. Or the bank shareholders, you know, um, I don't want to know where you bank, but does your bank, have they ever sent you a dividend? They barely pay interest, no. <laughs> uh, did you know your bank pays dividends? Yeah, I'm sure they do to that. I, I bank with a, a uh, local bank in Fort Worth, so... Uh, I can probably tell you the the name of the family who owns it. Oh, I don't want to. I yeah, don't want to know. But yeah. they earn dividends, oh, right? Yeah, and sure. Because they own the bank, right? Right. And everybody listening, the majority of everybody listening, wherever you bank, the bank pays dividends. They just don't pay them to you because you don't own the bank. So, and say so, yeah, I, I don't mind borrowing from my policies, because as co-owner of the company, uh, the interest I pay. It's got to come back to my benefit and to ever all the policyholders' benefits. Mm-hmm. So, so you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, if you think that through, <clears throat> um, you know, we we are actually paying interest. There's no question of that. If I if I pay a premium, right, I'm going to create cash value, and when the policy is structured for banking, you're going to create cash value earlier than you would have otherwise with traditional traditionally structured uh, life insurance policies, and then we're using mutual companies. So there's only two types of life insurance companies in the world. There are stock companies that are owned by the shareholders, and then there are mutual companies that are owned by the policyholders. So whenever you say that you're part owner of the company, it's because you own policies with the mutual company. Correct. Which makes you part owner of the company. So when you collateralize your cash value, you're borrowing against that. So you're just saying here, life insurance company, by contract, I'm gonna collateralize my cash value. You send me a check. 
And so you have the contractual right to borrow up to a, a large portion of your cash value. All right, so you're borrowing the insurance company's money, and so they're going to charge you an interest rate. <clears throat> and if you think about that, look, when you put money into a life insurance company and when you buy life insurance, the company has to put that money to work to meet the future obligations. Right? It's a guaranteed fact that you and I are going to graduate. When? I don't know. I don't even believe it's our business. God only knows. Right? Okay, so that's a guaranteed obligation to the life insurance company. Right? And then if we have cash value, and we do, that is also a guaranteed obligation to the life insurance company. At any point in time, you can look forward into the future and see what your cash values are. And there's part of it is guaranteed and part of it is non-guaranteed from the dividend because the dividend is not guaranteed. But once a dividend is paid, it's paid. And it's paid straight into the cash value if it's designed correctly. My point being that you have a, an accumulating, growing cash value. And so that's a guaranteed obligation to the life insurance company if you get mad and quit. So whenever we pay a premium, the company has to put the money to work to meet their future obligations. It is so simple, and it's just math. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's really, to me, for me, if I didn't have these five policies that we own, would I have saved that money? Uh, I think the, answer, the honest answer is probably not that, not as much as we put into the policies. I appreciate your honesty. So, uh, <laughs> but it, it, once you get started, <laughs> once we got started and got used to making those premium payments, and all four of the policies are annual premiums, and my policy is a monthly premium. And once you got used to that, okay, it's great. You, I'm not going to say you, I don't miss it, but... <laughs> All right. It, it, you get used to paying that premium, and it's and you see the benefits of it, or I see the benefits of it, and I say, well, I, I don't mind. I don't mind continuing to do that. Exactly. So. Well, I want to I want to touch on this. Bring this out that as we pay interest, you know, and you, you you're benefiting the company that you own, right? Well, who wants to own a company that's not profitable? Is a legitimate question. Yeah. All right. So. If the company has to put the money to work, and, and they've got to earn some kind of rate of return to meet the future obligations, so here we're borrowing against that policy, but we're not interrupting the growth because we, in in our practice, in you, um, we own uh, non-direct recognition companies, which just means that they pay a dividend whether there's an outstanding loan or not, which in my professional opinion, I believe is important. You know, it's, I prefer to work and own with those kinds of companies, non-direct recognition. Okay, so I'm paying interest to the life insurance company, so therefore they are profitable. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my part to um, help them or encourage them. I'm participating in the profitability of the life insurance company that I own. All right. What's wrong with that? Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that. It's, you can't legitimately borrow money anywhere in the free world, interest-free, other than there's a time period. I mean, here we are in this corona environment, and I'm seeing new cars financed for seven and eight years, 0% financing or $7,000 cash back or whatever, and then they're deferring payments for like 90 days. It's like, okay, it's still not interest-free. That zero is never... Uh, truly zero. Yeah, and a lot of people don't keep their cars that long. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> so I, I just I just wanted to back that up. But then, um, 
the discipline of paying a premium, accumulating capital, you know, you, would you have saved as much money? Who knows? You, you know, probably not. I know that's true for me. I would have never accumulated the capital that we've been able to accumulate if it wasn't for the life insurance. And here I was in the life insurance industry for 14 years before I met mm-hmm. Nelson. I mean, I, I'm, uh, after you get over your anger, you wonder why the life insurance companies didn't teach this. Because if they've been around for 150, 200 years, this concept has been around even longer. Surely they knew that um, you can accumulate an awful lot of cash value if you, you know, weighted the premium to the cash value as opposed to all weighted to the death benefit. And <clears throat> I'm not trying to discount the death benefit, but I, it just made me wonder. It's like when you practice the infinite banking concept, Mike, you wind up with more death benefit than you otherwise would have had if you just sought, you know, if we're all in our 20s and 30s and we're just going out to buy life insurance, you know, traditionally or typically, you know, seven times our income or whatever it is, um, you're going to wind up at natural mortality with a certain amount of death benefit. And in today, in today's world, if you buy term, you're going to wind up with next to nothing at natural mortality. Where when you structure even for cash and the infinite banking concept, you're buying life insurance with a focus on early cash values and cash values over the whole time, you typically wind up with more death benefit at natural mortality. Now, if that's true, and it, I have found that to be true after almost 30 years in the life insurance industry, why didn't the life insurance companies tell us this 30 years ago? Yeah. Well, there's two questions you, I guess everybody has when when they introduce to this concept and they uh, come to an understanding of it, I'm not going to say I understand it completely, but I, I think I have a pretty good understanding of it. One, I mean, it, it, well, like I, say, for, I said earlier, it sounds too good to be true. It turns out for me, it wasn't. Uh, one of those rare exceptions to the rules. And two, why didn't I know this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Because can you imagine? You know, it's because we haven't met. I was looking for you 20 years ago. Okay, I wish you'd have met me. <laughs> can you, I mean, just can you imagine what 10 years difference would make? Right. Because I started, gosh, with my policy, what was that, eight years ago? I was, I was 57 hmm. when, when I started my policy. What a difference it would have made if I had been 47. I mean, right. oh, 37. I might not have been able to do it at 27, but, you know. Uh, right. Well, I could have done it on a smaller scale, I guess. Oh, I think we can all do more yeah. than what we think we right. can. You, right. And you have to start where you're at, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you, I mean, you've got to, you've got to decide what's important to you and then mm. behave accordingly. <laughs> right. I love that, behave accordingly. Right. Well, looking back, what would you have done different? Knowing what you know now, right, what would you have done different? Oh, gosh. If I knew then what I know now, I, I would have put every dollar I could into a policy for somebody, you know, kids, wife, me, somebody. Uh, you know, the conventional wisdom tells you to you know, put your money in the stock market, let it grow. <coughs> yeah, uh, how'd that work out last month? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, and and uh, particularly, particularly people who are just 
retiring or whatever or living off their money they've accumulated, the value of their of their stock holdings, a lot of it had to disappear last month, and that's that's horrible. Terrible. It is horrible. I mean, and now looking at looking back at it, why would anyone do that? Why would you do that? Because uh, you know the value of my life insurance policies increased every day. This is Saturday. The markets are closed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the banks are closed. They'll be closed tomorrow. But your cash value is going to go up. Yeah, yeah. On each one of my policies. So, uh, why? Uh, my question to myself is why wouldn't why wouldn't you do that? So, uh, uh, so yeah. If, if I'd have known then what I know now, I would. I probably I would have never said the word stock market together, <laughs> <laughs> and would have never put any money in there. Because uh, you know, I think it turns out I'm a horrible stock market investor. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably open a service that says, "Look, if you pay me money, I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking about buying. You can buy it and short it. So <laughs> it's almost guaranteed to go down if I buy it." <laughs> uh, you know what the average day trader earns? On an annual basis? I have no idea. It's negative. Yeah. Think about that. And, and the other part of that business could be, I'm thinking about selling. So you can buy this because it's bound to, it's guaranteed to go up when I sell. <laughs> the contrarian newsletter, not, what not to do, huh? Yeah, uh, exactly. That, that may be a good business. I don't know. <laughs> that reminds me, you met Paul Cleveland, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, someone pointed this out to me. You know, he's been a guest a couple of times and, um, a couple of months ago, a young man said, James, you know, did you catch what Paul Cleveland said? And I'm thinking, well, I think I did. I was sitting there talking to him, you know. He said, uh, when you ask him what would you have done different, he said, I would have bought more policies and figured out how to pay for them. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't catch that. Thanks for pointing it out. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly, that's exactly what I would have done. Uh, I recently had the opportunity, since we're at home, uh, in this, you know, home confinement, so kind of thing, um, cleaning out old stuff out of our attic, and I came across things that I'd had accumulated over twenty-five years of working, mm-hmm. uh, and some of those were, um, you know, we at some point in my career we had to start filing financial statements with the state, and I, I looked at those, and I said. Gosh, I own that. I did that with you know, bought this stock, bought this that fund, whatever. And you know, from year to year, it was never really consistent. So I didn't hold things very long. Apparently, <laughs> I wasn't a buy and hold type of guy. So I'm thinking, oh, just if I just put that money in a policy. I'd still have it. Well, you know, did did you do any calculations? If you'd have held that, what it would have uh, done? I. Every night I think about doing that, but then I, I don't. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, what else? Um, what else have you done with your uh, policy? Another recent acquisition was um, we have we did some. We thought about buying windows for our house, putting mm. new windows in, and then when we found out how much that was going to cost, <laughs> we we said, well, what else do we need to do, or we would like to do instead? So we came up with four projects uh, at our house. We uh, put wood flooring down in our hallways that we didn't do when we bought the house for some reason. Uh, we put a new uh, French door in, replaced the old French door with a new French door, and redid the deck outside that needed to be done. 
and remodeled our master shower. And so I, I borrowed money for that to, from the policy to, to finance those things. And in the middle of all that, my gate opener in my driveway quit, quit working. So I had to buy a new gate opener. Well, I had that money sitting around, but back into the PUA it went, and uh, I borrowed that money, uh, and I'm paying it back well, why wasn't over it in this the year. PUA already? Uh, it's slowly accumulating. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Right. But uh, uh, yeah, so I'm, my loans with the insurance company, I could I put in two categories: long term, long term, long term, and short term. Um, I have, I paid off the mortgage balance of our house a year and a half ago with part of our cash value because I got tired of dealing with you know the bank and them having an interest, an ever growing interest in my house as the balance went down. You know, they, they still had an interest in the entire house, not just. <clears throat> yeah, think know, that one through. Yeah, so um, I went ahead and pulled the trigger on that and borrowed the money and paid off the mortgage balance. And so that's a long-term loan to the insurance company. I've added the, the money that we did to uh, re make these remodeling things to that. But I consider that as a long-term loan as well. Okay. So I've increased my loan payments to the company to cover that, but you know, to, to account for that. But the things like the uh, gate opener, uh, the air conditioning, heating unit, those are short term. So uh, I've got to, in my mind, I'm going to pay them back over a year or two. And so that's how, that's how I work it. Um, and it works out for me. Yep. So if, let's, let's, let's say that you pay the, the gate and the HVAC and those things the short term, off in a year, 18 months. What, what, what do you have? designed on that cash flow once it's freed? The smart thing to do would be to uh, put it in the PUA. I mean, so you, you, you just figure it out whenever you get there. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, who, know, who knows what our situation will be at that time. Right. Uh, and the future is unknown. Yeah. But. And of course, I'm, I'm uh, my current plan is to, I'll, re I'll reach full retirement age for Social Security at the end of this year. So I'm, my current thinking is I'll, I'll start taking Social Security next year. And that's, you know. Substantial. Yeah, I don't know about that, but it's, it <laughs> is, it's money that could go into the PUA. Right. <laughs> some of it. Some of it could, you know, I'll probably use a portion of it to, to help pay some of these loans put some of it in the PUA. Uh, assuming, assuming we're free to uh, live our lives and then by then, I, oh my gosh. I just, uh, you know, use some of it to just live on. Yeah, the, the uh, fact being that you get to do whatever you want. You're in the position that you can do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And if you start paying the PUA and change your mind and and start reducing loans or reducing loans, you can go back and forth. You get to do what you want. What is that worth? Yeah, you can't put that on an illustration either. You cannot. Um, and then if you paid your home off, 
And I'm not encouraging anyone to do anything other than investigate this idea of becoming your own banker. And you start with Nelson Nash's first book, Becoming Your Own Banker, then his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth, and then his 10-hour or 8-hour seminar series that is available at the NNI, which is infinitebanking.org in their store. And you'll be able to see it in the notes of this episode. We'll put a link where you can buy the eight-hour recorded presentation of Nelson Nash presenting live. Um, So that's all that I'm promoting. That's all I'm encouraging. And for you to think, right, just investigate this, vet it to see if it is worth implementing in your life for you and your family. Um, So that's the only promotion I have. Um, But while I'm on that promotion, you, how many times did you have the privilege of listening to Nelson? Do you remember? If he spoke at the, the, uh, the thing you had in Fort Worth in the last two years with Paul Cleveland and uh, Carlos Lara, mm-hmm. uh, yep. I know he was there. I mean, I know he was there. Yeah, he didn't speak you know, there. So I, I, mean, I spoke to him. Yeah. Uh, but so I saw him make the presentation one time. And uh, like I say, he was, he was there at that other presentation yeah. a year and a half ago, two years ago, whatever it was. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would, um, would you encourage people to, to purchase? And I think the, the DVD series that I'm speaking of is Nelson's live presentation. I think it's 150 $200. I'm not even sure what the cost is, but let's say 175 just to be average. I don't know. I should find out. But would you encourage people to purchase that? Or, Well, I, given my position, I can't really encourage people to do anything. Okay. Uh, and, and I don't want to. Uh, but if, if you're investigating, if you're looking into this concept, uh, I, would, I would think you would want to get as much information as you could. Perfectly. And my encouragement is to go to the source, right? Just like, just like you did. Yeah. It's like when Nelson came to town, you know, in Fort Worth, the, you know, you, I'm going to get it from the horse's mouth. So that's my encouragement is to, is to, you know, just read, watch. Um, and so I, I didn't mean to digress that far, but. Um, I did, I did read the building your warehouse of wealth again in the last month you did yeah it made it you know still made sense to me yeah did did you read the the first part of that book is my endorsement still in there do you oh, i read it on the kindle so i don't know oh dang it <laughs> i didn't know but they the second printing of that book doesn't have my endorsement in the front of it, it kind of made me angry or disappointed well, if i know that i wouldn't have read it <laughs> <laughs> i should i should put that in the in the notes my endorsement but um okay so tell me what else you know what what else you you've done or you know what well, it's like just financing ordinary things of life, you know, that that come up, things you want to do, things you don't want to do but you have to do. Uh, uh, well, you know, when you, you go looking back, you know, you retired a couple of years ago, about four years, four, four, about four years. and a half ago. Wow, time flies. Yeah, doesn't it though? Did you know you were going to be this busy once you retired? Um, I worked more last year than I had any other year in my retirement, and more than I wanted to this year this whole situation is taking care of that. So I'm not, <laughs> I won't work this as much this year as I did last year. That's for sure. You know, in the financial industry, almost 30 years, we, most people are more, 
uh, they're busier than they thought they were going to be when they retire. You know, in retirement, has it really changed your life? And here's where I'm going. You know, you had policies, you, you purchased policies before you retired. Looking forward, you knew you were going to retire, right? And and how is that integration with retirement and, you know, putting, owning, you know, four or five policies here? How did that come together for you or, or was it even an issue? You know, I mean, coming up on retirement, you had to be thinking, should I even put money in life insurance? Shouldn't I put money in the stock market or annuities or whatever? You know, how, how did that go for you? Well, my thinking was I, I wouldn't have done it if I knew I if or even thought that I couldn't continue to do it in retirement. So uh, I knew before I retired, we could continue to pay our premiums. We could we would be able to continue to put money in the PUA uh, if we wanted to. Right. So, uh, it it that I, so I thought about that ahead of time, and so yeah, we could keep we can keep doing that, right? <laughs> so, and so we do, and so the policies were structured with retirement on the horizon, and you thought through that. Well, and, uh, they were structured in such a way that I knew I could keep paying for them, right, until I graduated, right. Yeah. And th- there's a lot, in my opinion that is lacking in the big wide world of the infinite banking footprint when it comes to retirement. You know, people really don't know how, because the future is unknown, I get that. You have these cash values, should I borrow against the cash values, take, you know, tax-free income because loans are tax-free? Should I withdraw from the PUA um, and not replace the, the cash values? Um, there are so many options there are so many things that you can do. You know, I can borrow against the cash values to supplement my income on a tax-free basis because loans are not taxable. But then I have to manage that outstanding loan, right? It can't out-compound the cash value and it cannot compound the death benefit because if and when that happens, it's a train wreck. Mm-hmm. It's a humongous taxable event in the in that year that the policy imploded, right? Um, or if the policy becomes a MEC, a modified endowment contract in retirement. And, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you can annuitize a cash value. So there's, what I'm saying is this, that there's a, a void, in my opinion, that, that exists in the infinite banking footprint. And we're doing our work, you know, I mean, I think that we'll have, um, we'll bring clarity to that in the future. It's like we're working feverishly 24-7. And that's part of what we're working on. But so I can borrow against the cash value and I have to manage that outstanding loan so I don't have any train wrecks. I can annuitize the cash value within the life insurance policy. I can convert that cash value into an annuity that pays an immediate. There are so many things that you can do. I can withdraw um, and there's not a lot of, of resources in my opinion or enough resources about how to use life insurance in retirement. But um, it's all a moot point if you don't have substantial cash values in retirement. So it's, it's great to have options. <laughs> right. It's kind of like money. Can you have too many options? Can you have too much money? Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, all those options you were talking about, it, you may not use them, but they're there. So it's, uh, I, I don't know. And with you know, I guess the stock market, you, your options are buy, sell, suffer, <laughs> maybe. Uh, you know, 
So, you know, I, I don't know. It's this work. This, uh, this whole concept works for us and I'm, and I'm glad I did it. I would do it again. I, I would do it. I would do it earlier. <laughs> sure. If I could do it again. And that's pretty common too. The, yeah. There's, a, you know, four or five statements that um, I've heard for the last 16 years whenever, you know, you talk about the infinite banking concept. And one of them is, I wish I'd have heard it or known about this 10, 20, 15, 30 years ago. That's, we start dating ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, is it, is it legal? You know, can you really do this? And why well, haven't I ever heard of it? And, you know, they're very common. And you can't, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't get your questions answered in a in a 30-minute podcast or even one thorough reading of Nelson's book. I don't think that's sufficient. You have to read it more than once. And you have to, you know, you have to put in the time and the effort and the energy to, to thoroughly vet it. Um, and it's worth it. I mean, what else are you going to do? You're going to age. You're going to have a birthday next year. You know, you're you're going to continue to age. Things are going to go along the way they go. So it's okay to do yeah. accumulate money as things are going. And, you know, <clears throat> I remember another thing we do with our policy, we have done with our policies, um, we've helped both our daughters uh, refinance, if you will, some of their student loans. Wow. With you know using their policies, so you know, you're kind of introducing them to this and to that concept. And uh, in fact, when my youngest daughter got married, right after that, uh, she's, she's coming up on two years now. I gave them a copy of Nelson's book and said, "You need to read this yeah. because they were they were and are." And have been doing, uh, I guess, the Dave Ramsey thing, uh, paying off their debt, and they've done a good job of that. Sure. I mean, that's and they're. Let me tell you, if you've been in debt before, and you get out of debt, you can't put that on an illustration either. No. The, the feeling of that is is wonderful. Uh, so there, there's nothing wrong with getting out of debt. Uh, but you know, I've tried to. Give, I've given them that book and and say, you know, maybe you think about. Instead, instead of all the money going toward the debt payment, like most of it, but start start doing this, you know. Yeah, how'd that go? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're still paying off their debts, but you know. But hey, at least I gave them the opportunity. I think that's important. I tell I tell everyone, it's like lead the way, you know. And you're doing a, you're 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 doing a great job of that. You're a great example of that. You know, some of your children, your children, my children, some will get it, some won't. You know, some will get it by osmosis, some are paying attention, some are not. But, you know, be the example and lead, lead, you know, and and I'll also say this all the time. I'm 56 years old. You know, my dad passed away about 12, 13 years ago. And when I was 20, you know, I thought I knew everything. Right? When I was 15, I was sure I knew everything. So when I'm 25, I'm thinking, ah, my dad's kind of a smart guy, right? When I'm 30, it's like, oh my gosh, he's he's incredibly intelligent. The older I got, the smarter my dad mm-hmm. got, right? Exactly. Um, which is very common. Mm-hmm. But um, leading the way is important. Some children will get it and some will not. What did you lose? Nothing, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so I'm just saying lead the way. Some will get it, some won't. And, and I've encouraged them because her husband – uh, we'll watch stuff on uh, YouTube. So I said, watch the Banking with Life podcast. 
Well, he's going to see this, you know. When you're sitting around and you know, <laughs> have some time on your hands, and yes, you learn some stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, when I actually retired from the county, after, I, after my last term as judge, I, I went to work for the Tarrant County DA's office for a short period of time. And I actually retired from that. And when I retired, I was, I was supervising 20, 25 lawyers in the DA's office. And when I retired, I gave them a gift. I gave each of them a copy of Nelson's book. Wow. And said, this is, in my opinion, this is the second most important book you'll ever read. Wow. The Bible being the first. Uh, but read this, especially at your age, because they're all young. Especially at your age. Read this. So, I, you know. I don't know if any of them did, but, you know, I, again, I gave him that opportunity. Well, <clears throat> you know, maybe like you, you read his book early and then later rediscovered, reintroduced. So if they haven't read it, I mean, they're attorneys, so they can read. So, you know. Theoretically. <laughs> God love them. You know, God love them. I have a lot of attorneys that are clients and, you know. My heart, I have a special place in my heart for attorneys. Oh, you're going to be nice to attorneys today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you're, you're a judge, so we should not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, you know, that's impressive. Um, how many of them were there? 20, 25. I mean, and you gave them all I, a book. I gave each one of them a book. That's, man, see, that's an example. That's what to do. That's mm -hmm. how to do it right there. And, like I say, what they do with it is their business. Right. Yeah. It's like sowing seed, you know. It's like, you know, the farmer chisels the soil, right? Um, that's his part to make it receptive to the seed. And, you know, you sow the seed. It's like Johnny Appleseed, you know what I mean? It, the result is, you know, kind of God's business, nature, you know. It's like, does it get water? Does it get you know, sunlight, do the birds come and pluck it away? Does it come up on stony ground and wither quickly? Um, so I've always felt like I've done my part sowing the seed, just putting it out there. And I want all to come to the knowledge of, you know, the infinite banking concept, but, you know, some will and some won't. You, um, you can't make people do things. All you can do is give them the opportunity. Uh, right. I, I, I guess I thought of it as my not really a duty, but I, I thought enough about it to, to let them know about it and give them the opportunity. All right. Well, good job. Is there, are there any other points that you want to cover or things that you want to share? He had notes. Uh, I did not. I want you to see that my I, page is blank. So I'm kidding. Well, we've talked to, let's say, I, I just, we've talked about having discipline. I mean, the discipline to make the premiums, but all, it should translate into the discipline to pay the loans, because it's kind of the two sides of the same coin. No question. No. So I mean, but you can't let. You really don't want to let the loans get get out of hand. No question. No. It's a train wreck if you don't manage outstanding loans. Um, and I always, you know, Nelson's four fundamentals. Number one is think long range. Number two is don't be afraid to capitalize. I.e., don't be afraid to pay a premium. Number three is be an honest banker, right? Repay the loans. 
And then number four is don't do business with banks other than a savings and checking. And we translate it now as uh, don't become dependent upon third-party lenders. Right. Well, then toward the uh, last several years before he graduated, you know, he added, you have to uh, rethink your thinking, which is entirely true because this goes against um, the common norm in the financial world. You know, it's almost counterintuitive. It's the exact opposite of what you're told to do with money, right? Life insurance is the world's worst place mm-hmm. to put money. Not true. It's just not true. Yeah, all, all the financial entertainers, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they have their party line, and they all say the same thing. Right. Um, so, and I was listening to the radio on the way here this morning, and the guy was talking about a paradigm shift. It would change the way you think about things. And I thought, well, that's what Nelson Nash said. Right. So uh, kind of reminded me on the way down here. Right. So. Well, then he added noise. You know, it's almost like we have to have a head or a, a noise canceling headset because we are surrounded. Not that that was noise. That's not noise changing, you know, the paradigm shift in your thinking. But we are surrounded in noise and some of the worst noises in the financial world. And you've got to be able to recognize it and block it out. You know, so, and I guess probably the most important thing I've learned through this entire process, besides you know accumulating the capital and which is great, but the thing I didn't know going into this process that I know now that I believe I know now is about fractional reserve banking. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I just. It's hard for me to believe that that's allowable, you know, because the I started reading some of Nelson's uh, reading list, mm-hmm. and then you learn about fractional reserve banking, and you say, so they're creating money out of thin air, and then we have to pay it back if we borrow that money they've created out of thin air with interest. No wonder there's a bank on every corner. No wonder. Yeah. And I don't see how any bank goes under. If they can make up money out of nothing. All right. How can that I can There's only the only other business I know of that you can create money out of nothing similarly is bail bond business. <laughs> Ooh. I don't at least at least in Tarrant County the bondsmen you put up put up their capital. Mm-hmm. And then they can write bonds up to 10 times that amount. I did not know that. So that's sort of creating money. And they get paid for it, which, you know, they're doing a service. They're getting, they're putting their money on the line to get people out of jail. Wow. What are the thresholds to become a bail bondsman? Well, you know? it, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about financial. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think the. Yeah, I looked at it one time. I couldn't tell well, you. Okay, so, it's in the statute. There's a statute. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I could put up money and get into the bail bonds business, and let's say I put 100000 in or whatever, and then I can put out on bond a million? Up to, a, yeah. Wow. I course, did not know that. Yeah, yeah. There, that's Try, like the banker's cousin right there. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's the only other business I know that comes close to being a bank, uh, creating money out of nothing. I did not know that. Of course, you know, yeah. You know, you're, you know, all it takes is one client not to show up, and you know if you're on a big bond. Well, the now sheriff, down ten percent, I still have ninety percent. The right? sheriff's the sheriff's got your money. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, I did not so, know that. So yeah, there. I mean, there's 
obviously there's a risk involved. Sure. But, uh, uh, and but yeah, that's that's the only other business I can come up with that's close to creating money out of thin air. You know, in the in the banking business, I've heard uh, like the three C's: it's capital, collateral, and character. Right. So. I would think character is missing in the bell bonds business, not from the bell bondsman, but maybe potentially from some of the bell bondsman's clients or customers. I don't know. I'm just saying it's a question, Mark. Well, there, there's, uh, you know, there's people who make mistakes. There's people who make wrong decisions. Preach. And they're, and you know, they're, they're not bad people. They're not bad people at all. Okay. And then, there's a, another group that you know, just don't care what the rules are. That's the group I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean that's that break uh, the, 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 the the maliciously you know malicious activity. Right. That's, that's the and, group I'm and talking the about. Uh, I guess the goal is to try to decide which which group any individual person is in. Right. So the and, so the and, bondsman and, and treat them accordingly. Exactly. The bondsman is. I'll guarantee you he. Accepts collateral, requires collateral. Oh yeah, there, there's right. a, there's a, there's a fee for their service. Right, and and because then they right. provide, they provide that service. Exactly. Right. It's a capitalistic system, yeah. so there's capital involved, and I'll bet you they're very, I'll bet you they can in short order sum up uh, the character of their clients. <laughs> I don't know. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. that's good to know. So, yeah. Have you read? Um, speaking of fractional reserve banking, have you read? Um, uh, Eustace Mellon's uh, Secrets of the Federal Reserve? I have not. I know you all talked about that a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, I wrote I wrote it down to, to read. Uh, well, I'll send one home with you Okay, today. super. I, I have read The Creature from Jekyll Island. Right. Um, G. Edward Griffin. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of books, you know, I'm, I'm at, sitting at home watching these podcasts and I'm wondering, what are all those books back there? Can so, you read them from... I, I can see Josephus. Yep. And Ezra Pound, but I couldn't see the titles of the others. But uh, So before we started, I looked at them you know, to see what they were. Have I, you I, read The Fruits of Grass? I'm reading it now. I have a copy, and I'm reading it now. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, when you had uh, Mr. Jett on not too long ago, uh, I thought, oh, that'd be an interesting book. So I bought, it. I bought a copy of it, and I'm reading it. Perfect. I'm, I don't know. I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback that positive. And so I'm going to pass that along to him. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I thought, well, that, that's an interesting, he's got an interesting take on things, one that you don't, you don't hear anywhere else. Right. So I thought, well, that's, that, I'm going to read about that. You know, he was a constitutional attorney. He yeah. argued before the Supreme Court. Yeah. That, he's a pretty impressive individual. I mean, it's like, so... I could barely speak English. <laughs> so that's that's interesting to know, though. So if there's anything up there that you haven't read, I mean, I would be more than happy to share it with you. All right, great. So, I mean, I and I, I like I often wondered what the who the bobblehead was back there, but now I know. Yeah, so. my wife Jana bought that for the set, but you know they do that. She told me because I'm looking at it, and the only thing that that even resembles me in my opinion is uh, shorts and flip flops. Right. But, and I didn't know this. She said, well, I send them pictures, you know, I had to get them off of Facebook and, and there wasn't enough angles for them to, to produce an image of me. And I thought nobody can produce an image of me, but 
It doesn't look like me is my point. Yeah. Well, from TV, I couldn't tell if it was you or, or it could have been Nelson maybe. I thought maybe it's a Nelson. I don't know. Uh, but uh, then I thought, well, Nelson didn't have the goatee, I don't think. But, uh, yeah, right. Uh, and then you uh, you had mentioned the, uh, I think you moved it before we sat down, the uh, duck. Yeah, I did. I'd, I'd never seen, I'd never noticed the duck before. And you got a big screen TV with 4K. And I'm, I'm listening to what you and Ryan and your, or your other guests are trying to say. Perfect. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> you turn it up so Linda can hear from the other room? Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I had a, I had a, an individual say, James, and he did the same thing. He said, you know, I listen on Saturdays. Um, I listen to the podcast when it comes out. And he said, you know, I turn it up so my wife, when she's in the other room, she can hear. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I can only imagine of all the things she wants to listen to, some couple of guys talking about money. Yeah, well, you know, um, Linda is usually doing uh, something else when I'm watching the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, any, anything else here? I mean, I don't want to miss anything out. Uh, to me... Um, and I said it earlier and I meant it, you know, you're very pleasant, you're very intelligent, you're articulate and you have experience here. You, your first policies were purchased in, well, 2004, 2004, right? That's 16 years. So, um, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Like I say, this, this, this has worked out for me. Uh, right. and uh, I'm happy, I'm happy I did it and i all I can do is encourage other people to see if it works for them. Perfect. I mean, yeah. I'm the same way. It's worked out for us, and I encourage everyone to consider it. You know, mm-hmm. at least investigate it. Um, just see if it makes sense for you and your family. And you know, I will say this, and I'm not just blowing smoke at you. That, and I cleaned that up a little bit. You know, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I talk to you, I think I learn something. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, every from every phone conversation or if I come uh, to your office and we visit, I mean, I walk away thinking, okay, I've learned something new. So, I appreciate that. Wow. Thank you for saying mm-hmm. that. You, you've never said that before. Do I got to turn the camera on to get you to say nice things about me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate yeah, that. No, I mean, it is true. That's a... Uh, that may... that I don't know if that's why, but I'll say that... That may be why you're, you know, graduate 001 from the Nelson Nash Institute or whatever. Whatever yeah. whatever 001 you are. Yeah, yeah 001. I yeah. love that first yeah. one. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, – I feel very fortunate that I saw – whatever I saw that got me into uh, your program with Nelson. I appreciate that you saying so, that. So, uh, it's – Well, and, and I, I don't – I never – typically never I can't remember ever you know really trying to promote and I don't want to necessarily promote myself I think everybody should you know work with us don't misunderstand me but um, you know our our office exists to provide service to our clients and to promote the idea that you can become your own banker I mean that's what we do every day day in day out so would I be remiss to ask your opinion of the interaction with our office, our practice, our staff. You know. I was just going to say that. Uh, that you know, every time I call, and whether I talk to Carol or Julie, uh, you know, they are, are, are obviously very friendly. 
they 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 know what they're doing. They uh, if I have a question, they get it answered. If we need um, some sort of policy service, they get it done. So yeah, it's been, my experience here has been great. Perfect. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. I hear it all the time. You know, people. Say, oh, you know, I talked to Carol, I talked to Julia, or I talked to Kimmy, or I talked to Jake, and they're like very, very pleasant, very uh, complimentary. And so I always tell them, but it's not the same where if you say it compared to me saying it, you know. So I appreciate you saying mm-hmm. that. They're outstanding. I'm like, when I want service on my policies, you people, you know, kind of raise your eyebrows sometimes. I walk right up front of, to, to my office and I'm like, I need this, this, or this. I don't do it. You know, can I do it? Yes, I think I can do anything, um, but I don't do everything. You know what I mean? There. That, that's kind of the approach I take. I, there's a lot of things I can I, and I can and do do uh, with the company, the insurance company. So, and, and, and I, I don't want to bother y'all with it. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there, there are some things that are better that y'all do. So, uh, sure. uh, but I, I do, I would say 90% of dealing with the, the insurance company, I do myself. So uh, it's, it, it's not hard. Yeah, no, it's really not. Yeah. And, and we don't promote dependency at all. We promote independence, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's, it's your money. It's, they're your policies. They're your contracts. If you're the owner, you're the insured. I mean, they're your assets. You you want to know how to manage them and how, how to integrate them into everything that you're doing. Um, and we'll help. You know, we help. That's, that's what we do. Um, and speaking of that, without necessarily mentioning names, are, ha, have the insurance companies that you own – I mean, have they done what you expected them to do? Or you, I mean, 16 years is a long time. Either the companies are doing what they say they're doing or they're not. You know, what's your general experience with the insurance companies? I'm pleased. Uh, of course, you know, dividend scales change over time. Right. They're, they'll change from year to year. And, you know, as long as you know that going in, you know, it's... Yeah. it's but, yeah, generally... I'm very pleased with the way things have gone. If um, I'm trying to think if I have any complaint at all about it, and I can't come up with one, so I must wow. not. That's pretty powerful. And, and even their their customer service people, you call them on the phone, they're nice and helpful too. I mean, just I, I've had no compl- I have no complaint about this whole process. Wow, that's that's powerful. I know that. The last 16 years, interest rates have come down. Dividend scales have come down. Um, and the only thing that, and this is, I learned this straight from Nelson Nash and, and then experienced it, right? Um, the owner of the policy has a greater bearing on the outcome or the results of the policy, even more so than the life insurance company. And that's pretty powerful when you think that through and you understand that and you can see that and you learn that and you experience that. Mm-hmm. What other product in the financial world does um, the owner's actions affect greater than the, the you know, producer or the, or the creator of the financial tool? I mean, when you think that through. And so what do I mean by that? Exactly, here's what I mean by that. When you said earlier the different things that you have financed, you paid PUA premium and then financed something, 
right? And, uh, and I said, well, why wasn't the money already in the PUA? And it was just lazy money. Maybe it didn't have a earmarked as a purpose, but regardless, I mean, regardless, whenever you put that additional money into the PUA, you made that dividend go up in that year and every year into the future. So dividends may have been coming down over the last 16 years, and they have, um, but they're going to go up too. I mean, these, you know, we're not going to remain in a zero interest rate forever, I hope. Um, interest rates have come down. Dividend scales have come down. You're putting additional money into the PUA. You're causing the dividends to go up. So the, your actions have had a greater bearing because you can't control the dividend. You can't control the dividend scale. Neither can I. The insurance company has limitations if they're honest on the dividend scale. Right? There are some companies that supplement their dividends. Um, and there's all kinds of things that go on in the financial world. And let me say that's why we do business with the companies that we do business with. We want straightforward companies that are clear. They're, are they pure as a driven snow? No. Um, all of the companies, I'm just saying in general, we want straightforward companies that don't play games on their P&Ls. They don't play games with their dividends. And they can only control their dividend scale with a certain amount, with limitations. And my point being, and we can't control the interest rate environment either. Think about that. I can't control what the, what the bank charges me in interest for this money they created out of thin air and I'm putting real collateral up and future production up to collateralize this and then pay interest on this money that didn't exist. I'm just saying <laughs> that because you put that additional money into the PUA, you've caused a future dividend. That was your actions. You could have just straight out paid for whatever you were purchasing, right? But you mm -hmm. put it into the PUA mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. And then if, if I carry that thought out further, well, people will say, well, why don't you just go pay cash for it anyway? And if you think that through, look, if I have a $10,000 purchase, right, I can go pay $10,000 for that if I have the cash. And now to make the next $10,000 purchase, I've got to reaccumulate. I've got to save that money mm -hmm. to make the next purchase. Okay, those are just cash flows, right? Well, if I pay a $10,000 premium into the PUA, that's a cash flow in. And if I pay cash through a loan against that cash value to make the purchase, I have what I wanted. And now I'm going to make a loan repayment to accumulate or repay that $10,000 loan. And so I'm just reaccumulating that cash. I mean, when you think that through, the only thing that changed is what we're calling these cash flows and where the money is coming to and from. And you still have the original $10,000. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like... I mean, that. That finally dawned on me four or five years ago because what I was doing every month, I have, you know, I have certain, I call them annual expenses, things I pay once a year, every year, property taxes, homeowner's insurance, car insurance, you know, things like that. So, annual premiums, you know. <laughs> so I'm setting, I was setting aside X dollars for each one of those every single month and keeping a running total of it. I like numbers. I like, I like to see numbers on a page, you know. Uh, maybe I should have been an accountant. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, I think you're a pretty good judge. So I, uh, every, so every month I'm accumulating, and as the, the, that whatever expense came due, I had the money, and I paid it. And it finally dawned on me that if I took that money and put it in the PUA, and just borrowed the money every year and paid it back with the same money I was setting aside every month, hello, I've still got the original stake <laughs> and it's growing. 
So that's that's another way I use the policies. Now you said four or five years, didn't you? Yeah. You've been doing this 16 years, so you were, you know, 11 or so years into it before that. Don't you? What happened? I mean, what? I mean, I'm a slow learner, but come on. <laughs> it was probably a result of some conversation I had with you. Uh, well, thank you very much. I mean, and my point being is that, you know, we think we see things clearly and we can only see what we can see and we don't know what we don't know. You know, and there's some of these things, this whole process of learning and, and implementing it and doing it. There's some things that you just don't know until you experience mm -hmm. it. You know, I, and I was the same way. I was about four. Uh, I was about four years into it. And, and, and I'm paying high premium. You know, I'm financing. We were financing like automobiles, uh, medical, dental, credit cards. And then... Um, and this was, I was probably three years into it because this was about 13 years ago. I'm sitting in the parking lot of the uh, hospice facility that my dad was in. And he passed away in April. And, and I've got to write the IRS a honking check. Right? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this money should have been into life insurance premiums first. And so here, I've been practicing the infinite banking economy. I've been a student. I've listened to Nelson every opportunity I had. I've read his book, and, and I'm doing it. And, I mean, and, and that dawned on me, you know, and I think uh, when, when things happen to us and we're, and like in that situation, that was a very emotional situation. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of traumatized, losing your dad, and something like that. It just it's in, becomes indelible, right? I'm like, that was... Oh my gosh, what a revelation. It was almost as if here I've been shaving 40 years of my life and I just now noticed there's a nose on my face. I mean, it's just, it's plain and simple right there and you just don't see it until you're doing it. You yeah. know? I mean, it's the exact same money doing the same thing. And except now, now I only have one column. It, the balance of the loan. As I write write a check for whatever expense it is, I just subtract it and say, "Okay, I've got that much more to yeah. go." And then when that year's up, I'm of course, and I have the automatic payments to pay back that loan, so it's paid off every year. So when the money runs out, I know it's time to to borrow it again, and the and the original money is still there. The sinking fund method. Yeah, I mean that's awesome. Yeah, but that takes discipline to run. You know, do an accounting on your finances and your cash flows. I mean, yeah, I mean, like literally, I was setting aside like twelve dollars and eighty-three cents a month for some whatever expense it was. Wow! And then more for others. And I'm going, okay, why don't I just do it the other way, the smart way, <laughs> <laughs> and then round up, and yeah. just round up. Yeah, right? yeah. So put uh, some zeros on that. <laughs> so I, so I, it is, this whole thing, I mean, has given us the freedom to basically, I don't want to say we can do whatever we want to do. But, uh, let me say, but, he can do whatever he wants well, to do. Well, we can, we can do pretty much anything we want to do, I mean, uh, with, with our capital. Because, yep. you know, like you say, it is ours. It, it belongs to us. Um, we don't have to go, I don't have to go to the bank with my hat in my hand and beg them to create some money out of thin air. And then let me pay it back with real money. Well, what do I, I'll call real money. And <laughs> with interest to them. It's almost evil, isn't it? Um, I'm saying uh, it. 
I'm, yeah. I'm, I've been trying to think of a word that would ad- adequately describe it, but I haven't come up with it yet. Ooh, when you do, please share, <laughs> because I'll, I'll, I'll use it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, well, very good. What else, sir? That's all I have. Um, I think we've covered every all the notes I made. <laughs> Covered all the notes I made, plus some. <laughs> well, listen, Tr- truly unscripted. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. So, I guess I, I hope I hope the viewers aren't disappointed that I didn't go off on a rant like no, you know, no. like Orion does sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to say he was looking forward to meeting Ryan, but Ryan has to self quarantine because he came in from California to Gestapo on the West Coast. Um, but you'll have to come back, and you know Ron will be here a couple of weeks. I mean, if he, you know, isn't uh, a casualty of the corona, <laughs> so which I don't mean to make a lot of that. There's a real virus going around, no question, and and those people that that are affected should be quarantined. The people that are not affected should not be quarantined. My humble opinion. Well, so. everybody has to be smart about about it. Uh, Well, thank you for coming. I've been uh, greatly enjoyed it. I appreciate it. I appreciate being here and the opportunity to visit with you. Perfect. Because I'm sure I've learned something. I'll go when I'm driving home. I say I learned that today. Well, you have an opportunity. We'll let you know when it. Andrew will let you know when it gets released, and so you can listen back to it. I don't. I don't know if I want to sit there and watch myself. Uh, (laughs) Right. That's the way. I I don't. I don't listen to them. I can't. I'm too harsh of a self critic. But Mm -hmm. I hope that uh, you found value. I mean, I. I always have. I mean, I, I love it when I talk to people, smart people like you, and I learn something myself every time. Well, I, you know, ever since I attended the uh, the deal, the last deal you had with Carlos Lara and and uh, Bob Murphy, Bob Murphy, is yeah, Bob Robert. Murphy, yeah, that didn't sound right for some reason. Well, y'all are friends; you can call him Bob. Oh, yeah. he lets me call him Bob. Well, <laughs> and. Uh, um, and that was more or less geared toward businesses. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, y'all need to do something that's geared toward the individual. And I guess that's what we're doing. So That is what we're doing. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and some of your other guests, you know, have been that way too. So that, I appreciate that because, you know, everybody does, uses their policies differently. Mm-hmm. And we can maybe all learn from each other. What a concept. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Have a great day. Say hi to Linda. Will do. Thanks for coming down. All right. My pleasure. All right. Perfect. One more thing. Um, Mike, you're such a gentleman. Okay. So, look, Mike, after we uh, concluded the recording of this episode, Mike graciously said, you know, I was going to call you out on this comment that you made in episode 45, but I didn't. Thank you. And so we had a discussion about my comment. And so um, after the discussion here, we're going to continue the discussion, if that makes sense. All right. So in episode 45, because you made a note, and uh, what would you, what'd you, what'd you notate, sir? I, I made a note, and I think this is a more or less a direct quote. You said, government workers can't make it in the real world. And I thought, well... I was a government worker. <laughs> I think I've done okay. And, and I, I, there are people who work for the government that do okay and, and that have worked in the real world before. So I just, 
thought maybe your your uh, brush was a little too broad. A little broad. Yeah. And so, and I and I agree mm-hmm. that my brush was very broad, and 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 um, I said, you know, like Jana, my lovely wife, if I'd have told her I made that comment or I was going to make that comment, which I didn't plan to make the mm-hmm. comment. Um, you know, she'd have had a cow when I said it. You know, young Mister Griggs, his eyebrow raised a bit, and so and so I I uh, and I believe I can take correction, or I like to think I can, and I surely was not talking about you, right? Or I have a lot of we have a lot of clients that are governmental employees at various levels, state, county, um, city, and federal, and so I will acquiesce that that was a bit broad. I think the meaning came across, I hope the meaning came across, but I don't want to insult anyone, right? And my point being is, I think, um, I don't even, I almost want to say most governmental workers, but I couldn't make it in the real world. <laughs> but the, uh, the idea that um, you can shut down an economy when there is an appalling lack of fundamental, a fundamental understanding of economics just gets my goat. And it's very easy for the appointed, the elected official to say, oh, let's just shut down or come up with these edicts on, on private business, private individuals, when the fact is that the average all-American business owner, the average all-American family, they know perfectly well how to operate successfully, right? We don't need, in my opinion, we don't need, I do not need direction from any level of government official telling me how I should operate, you know? Um, So that's kind of where it comes from. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just trying to explain my position that, um, you know, you, I've been classified or pigeonholed as a libertarian, what have you. And, and quite, quite frankly, I don't want a label put on me. If you had to put a label on me, the closest thing it would be would be an anarcho-capitalist. Right? I believe no government is best. I understand that a some form of limited government was probably required. But until we get to that point, I'm in a position of no government. Thank you very much. So... I don't know if that really explained everything or anything in particular, but I think most people probably understood what you're saying. Uh, right. But on behalf of uh, you know all the government workers and, and like I say to my wife a lot, I accept your apology. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did I say I was sorry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what she says. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.